This episode is brought to you by Cadillac. They were riding that Cadillac and I was like, wow. They look so powerful. They look so beautiful. You know, I had never seen them like that and both of the sisters together. They look like goddesses to me. Hi. I'm Sonia Manalili, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News, where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. In ancient mythology, figures like Athena and Aphrodite were exalted as paragons of virtue, strength, and beauty. Artnet and Cadillac invited three artists to interpret the goddess theme and to create new work to celebrate the return of the brand's goddesshood ornament on the new ultra-luxury EV Celestic. These images are being auctioned through Artnet to benefit the nonprofit organization Free Arts NYC. In Los Angeles, the three contemporary photographers, Ming Smith, Petra Collins, and Daniel Bowman, joined me to discuss their unique approaches to the medium and what it means to have a contemporary icon representing women envisioned by women themselves. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. I'm Sonia Manalili. I am the executive producer at Artnet News. On behalf of Artnet and Cadillac, thank you so much for joining us this evening for The Goddess, a commission of original works by Ming Smith, Daniel Bowman, and Petra Collins. This collaboration between Artnet and Cadillac showcases images from these three renowned artists interpreting the Cadillac goddess returning after more than 60 years on the Celestic. These works will be offered through an online auction presented by Artnet and Cadillac on Artnet Auctions from February 15th through March 1st. The proceeds from the sale will be donated to Free Arts NYC, a nonprofit organization that empowers youth from underserved communities through art and mentoring programs to develop their creativity, confidence, and skills to succeed. I will start with Ming Smith. Ming is an acclaimed photographer whose career spans five decades. Over the course of this time, she has captured many black cultural figures from Alvin Ailey, Nina Simone, Tina Turner, Grace Jones, and a wide range of jazz musicians. Her images have been described as dreamlike, tender, and ethereal. Her works are in the collections of numerous major art institutions such as MoMA, the Whitney Museum of Art, the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, and the National Museum of African American History and Culture, to name a few. Projects Ming Smith, an exhibition of selected images from her archives, is currently up at the MoMA. And I'd like to welcome you, Ming. Thank you so much for coming out. Thank you for having me. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm good. I'm happy to be here. I thought it would be warmer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should have brought my winter coat. When I start talking, I'm getting too mer- nervous. Okay. So next to Ming is Daniel Bowman. Danielle is an artist and filmmaker whose concepts and styles change as she develops artistically, while always retaining a sense of investigation in her work. Bowman created the cover and images for the New York Times Magazine 1619 Project, was awarded the 2020 Aperture Portfolio Prize, and received the 2021 Gund Foundation Photography Portfolio Commission. Her work was recently on view at LACMA's exhibition family album, Daniel Bowman. How are you doing, Danielle? Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here with Ming and Petra. It's That's really cool. 
It's pretty amazing yeah. to have multi-generations yeah. of incredible women artists all together to speak about your work. Yeah. Last but not least, yes. <laughs> thank you. We have Petra Collins. Petra is an artist and director who rose to prominence in the early 2010s. Her photography is characterized by a feminine, dreamlike feel informed in part by a female gaze approach. She has directed a number of short films, including music videos for Carly Rae Jepsen, Lil Yachty, Selena Gomez, Cardi B, and Olivia Rodrigo. How are you doing, Petra? I think that was an old bio. I'm just going <laughs> to say. What would you love no, to no, no, update? No. I was just cringing at myself. <laughs> no, I'm happy to be here. And now I'm warm. Oh, so. good. I'm glad. <laughs> Thank you for being here. So we're going to start with the questions. Ming, I'm going to start with you. Mm-hmm. You have said you have to catch a moment that would never return again and do it justice. So I'm wondering, in these fleeting moments, how do you approach your subjects while shooting? Is it like being a fly on the wall, observing the world around you? What is the whole process of shooting like for you? Whatever presents itself. You know, I look at the light. I look at the positioning, the movement. When everything is in harmony, something inside of me, that is my gift. I think God gave me my eyes to see. That was a talent, you know, maybe because I observed. But when everything comes together at that right moment, that's when I shoot my photograph. Many times I know that I got it. Other times I knew I just missed it. But something inside of you, from the very beginning, that's how I worked, in the moment, to be really in the moment. Photography for me has been a spiritual journey, and objects, they present themselves. You know, like I was walking at Central Park during the pandemic, and all of a sudden I heard this, like that, right? And I was like, (laughs) And there were two birds, and they were blue jays. And so I had never seen blue jays in Central Park in New York. And so I took a photograph of them. It was during the pandemic. I was feeling sad or, you know, mixed emotions because, you know, I mean, people were saying, should we take the vaccine or shouldn't we take the vaccine? You know, all the politics around it. And there was, like, no answers. And I don't like to feel that way. And... I waited and waited to try to take another photograph of them, but it was only that one moment. You know, I waited for maybe half an hour to get maybe a better shot because I, you know, wasn't prepared to shoot. And then when I looked up the bluebirds online, it said it was for hope and love and joy would be coming, that there's going to be a major change. And so my entire career, there have been moments that that has happened. And so I felt that it was a spiritual moment. Those birds presented themselves to me. But you have to be open enough to receive it. And I think that's been part of my gift. Because it could be a person, it could be whatever. The light hits an object a certain way. Changes. It's presenting itself. Mm-hmm. I see both of you nodding in agreement to what Ming is saying. What is it about what she's saying that resonates with you? Danielle, do you want to speak to that? Yeah, I think it's being open to seeing things. That's the thing that is really resonating with 
me. And I think not denying yourself the sight because it's, at least for me, can get really easy to overthink things. I'm like, first thought, there's probably a better thought. There's probably a better thing I can do. So it's easy for me to talk myself out of things and like convince myself that the way that I see things isn't special all the time. Whereas what's resonating with me is being open enough to understand that like the blue jays are special or like just these little moments are special. Petra. I almost have nothing to add to that. You said it so beautifully. <laughs> but basically being open to seeing it. And it's funny because my the stress of my whole life is that I'm so afraid of not seeing. I actually have very bad eyes, <laughs> interestingly enough. Oh, why but would you say that? You should say that. You see. You see. <laughs> I do see. see. God gave you a yeah. gift to see. You see us. True. That's a gift. So True. Don't, I'm sorry, but I have to <laughs> No, say, no. As a young photographer... Don't critique yourself because it's like you're here for a reason. And so you just have to like accept it. Maybe it's a big responsibility, but just for you to desire to do this, that's a gift in itself. The young folks don't have anything to aspire to. So something has taken you and it's spirit. So I just have to say it's don't critique yourself. When you say you, your eyes, you can't see. Like, you do see. Yeah. You take those photographs. You know. You're right. I shouldn't critique myself. And I think that it did inform my practice, the specific way that I do see. Because I did end up, the way that I shot photos was very, like, I, I don't like to say dreamlike. But I because of the way that my, I guess, eyes view the world, I did end up taking photos in a certain way. So I do appreciate you saying that because that is true. <laughs> so then also, Petra, I know that you were enamored with films as you were growing up and probably still are. How does that affect your process when you're shooting your subjects? Are you directing them in any way? When you look at people, are they sort of a character and a narrative that's in your mind? I mean, I find people or my subjects interesting in themselves. I never aspire to create a specific story. I think I love finding out what story my subjects want to tell and sort of work around that or I guess balance what I'm feeling with what they're feeling. So when both of us enter the space, first I like to ask what they want to be presenting or want to show and then I kind of work around that. Even though I do love film, I think the process of making photos for me is more about feeding what the subject wants. I'm not saying I haven't figured it out beforehand, but I think it's always up to chance to whatever your subjects are giving that day, basically. Sort of an interaction, a dialogue between the two of you. Yeah, an unspoken dialogue, because I also like to not say too much, because I think it's important that they have their own voices in the images. And Danielle, you work with broader themes, like with your project, What Had Happened, you looked at the Great Migration through the lens of your family history, but your process is changing and you're expanding into filmmaking and learning so much now. How is that affecting the way that you see things and the way that you're shooting things now? Filmmaking has been a really great thing to do because it's making me more ambitious as a maker because I want to make narrative feature films and I'm so used to just doing everything by myself, maybe with one assistant, but usually not 
after making my first short, you can't make those by yourself. I, I was going to ask, <laughs> did you make that by yourself? Like, no, well, it was like me and eight other people. I really like working by myself. I really like having a special one-on-one energy exchange with a subject. But when you're working by yourself, there's only so much you can do. So working in film has just been a really great way to like expand, just make the practice bigger in a way that feels really fulfilling. It's an interesting process to be able to collaborate and figure out dialogue oh my God. with the crew. Like, How do you speak to a set designer? How do you speak to the sound person? Yeah. How do you articulate that creative process and what you have in your mind? Yeah, it's really fun. I had it in me, and I didn't realize I had it in me all along. I think I've always wanted to work in film, but I thought I would be a cinematographer or some other role but then when I started doing it I was like oh no like you have the vision and like you want to be communicating this vision to a production designer who can like then do the production design way better than I ever could but with my ideas and like with my vision like it's kind of amazing it is amazing yeah it's it's, it's an amazing skill to really develop and hone a different way of communicating Mm -hmm. with people I taught for a long time. I taught photography at universities all over. And I have to say, teaching a classroom full of art students, I think, was really good prep for, like, running a crew, (laughs) a film crew. Yeah, so. That makes sense. So, Ming, I love that you are giving Petra advice. You have been shooting since the 70s. You have always gone a fine arts route. We would love to hear about your experience, what was it like as a black woman paving your own way in the fine art photography world? First, I want to say that Petra, <laughs> I just like, I love your photograph and I, so, I see you as a really good filmmaker. I see the film in you and like you, I wanted to do film, but you had to have a crew, you had to have money. It was just expensive. It is. Whereas being a photographer, you could just go out and shoot anytime you wanted. It was a way of escaping and was freedom for me, Mm -hmm. you know. But as a black woman, even people ask me that about being in Kamangi. I was always aware, but I wasn't thinking of being black or being a woman, really. I didn't really think of that at all. I didn't own that because back then, if you did it, it wasn't like it is now you can have shows, you can make money. Saying you wanted to be a photographer was like saying, okay, I'm holding hand with poverty. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, my mom, dad, well, are you still doing that art? You know, even though my father was an artist, it's like, you know, what are you doing with your life? You know, you graduated from school and pre-med. And so being an artist, and I looked at photography not from a commercial. I wanted to create fine art. And the photographers that I loved, the masters, they were fine art photographers, like Versailles. I loved him. I had a relationship with Imogene Cunningham, who taught Dion Arbus. She was in the village. I used to talk to her, not about you know photography, but just about do you believe in love and you know things like this. I even went to her home, and it was like not 
that much different from mine. <laughs> and this is the famous photographer who taught Dion Arbus. Financially, she was pretty much in the same boat. I lived in the village. I didn't live in Harlem. And at that time, it was a place of misfits. And it had a history of artists that lived in the village. Most of my friends were at that time misfits. They were artists that were struggling. And I don't really think, you know, we really talked about being black or sexuality, but we just knew it. But we were all trying to become something, to feed ourselves. I have a photograph of Tina Turner, and I was there to shoot Tina Turner because I was a dancer, and they hired me as a dancer, so on the music videos. <laughs> but I took that photograph of Tina Turner because I was on set. So I think if I was really honest about that situation about being a black female, mm -hmm. but that's the truth, if I'm going to speak honestly, that's the way it was then for mm -hmm. me in the beginning. You know, we were aware of who we were, but there was no real platform for that. Yeah. I do have one more question I want to ask before we move on to the imagery that you made specifically for Cadillac. All of you, as you look at your body of work, these stories and narratives that you have told through your work, do you try to look at it from a bigger picture? Look at what next generations are going to learn from the stories that you have told and ultimately what sort of artistic legacy do you want to leave? I'm going to start with you, Danielle, then. No. <laughs> if it was a yes or no question, the answer is no. I wish that I could have that kind of foresight or bird's eye view or whatever, but yeah, I feel like when you're in your work and mm -hmm. even if it's like you made something several years ago, you're still in it. You're like you're so close to it. That's why for me, this is where my friends and like trusted advisors that I let into my studio come in because I can't see those things. I also feel like I don't know that I would want to be too concerned with it because I think it would be easy to get bogged down by trying to feel like you're walking along some route to something. Start to like bias the way that you approach Yeah, things. yeah, because you feel like you're supposed to be this kind of artist or that kind of artist or make this kind of work or that kind of work. And I feel like that's where I've actually gotten into trouble is when I have a project that I've been working on, but I know I'm not interested in it anymore. But I feel like I have to keep working on it because people expect me to or because it feels unfinished and... Now I've gotten to the point where I'm like, no, I'm going to do whatever I want, even if it feels like a left turn or whatever, and just trust that like it's all going to come together. And even if it doesn't, that's okay. Ming, what about you? Do you think about your legacy at all? or I think about it from the very beginning. You have to see, I came out of the Black Arts Movement. They call it like the stepchild of the Black Power Movement. Mm. And Jim Crow just pretty much ended. But it was still alive and well, but not just legally. But there was all these negative images of blacks in America, all over the world. And they, you know, 
Harlem was a place where there were drug addicts and poverty, which that was there. But that was a stereotype. And even now, if you turn on the news, you'll see negative images of black men. So I wanted to make images that showed the love and the humanity of black people. Now, during that time and even before, there was a huge, beautiful legacy in Harlem. You could go to the Apollo, you could see James Brown, people would drop their kids there. All day they had one act, the Temptations, the Supremes. There were churches, beautiful with the kids dressed. and There was a beautiful community that was going there. There was a lot of love, there was home cooking. There was just all of the love and the humanity of black people was there in Harlem. but. Guess what? If you saw a picture of us, like in Russia, in different countries, it was always real negative. People clutching their bags when they see. So this was a stereotype. And then there was also people that I met, like painters like Ramar Bearden and writers like Albert Murray and Elizabeth Catlett. These people were bigger than me and my photography. Someone could have a photograph, say, of Sun Ra. One of the young now can go and the whole world could open up to them. Or Octavia Butler or Abby Lincoln, writers, painters, musicians, and that. So I wanted to give that to the young. Someone inspired me, like Roy DiCarava or Gordon Parks. The young, they don't see any way out of where they are. For something to motivate them or inspire them to like, oh, I could be a filmmaker, or I could do this. Instead of doing drugs or just looking at media or looking at themselves, there might be something that can take you away from that pain or that search. And I think we all have that. Mm -hmm. So being an artist, I didn't care what anyone else said about my photography. I could care less. Mm -hmm. I knew if it was good because that was the only thing that I had in my life because, see, I didn't have anything, for example, you had, like, oh, you m might make half a million dollars for this and that. I was doing it so I had to be true to myself because mm -hmm. there was no reason. I wasn't trying to sell it. I just was doing it because that was my escape from pain or from loneliness or not knowing. So I did. I wanted to give it to the young, giving them hope or, like, opportunities. Mm -hmm. so. Petra? I think that's really beautiful. I think that that's where I started as an artist, too. Making work. I didn't start with photo because I feel like I started making work as a child, but I did it as an escape and to live, basically. So I guess speaking of legacy, because I've done it to live, I'm not talking about monetary living. I mean, like, in my brain and to um, exist and heal yeah, and yeah. be. That's sort of the only way that I've ever really thought about art or photo. And I think I've always tried to keep it in the same values that I had as a child. I really want to keep it in the sense of like play and love, I guess. I always talk about my younger sister, but her, she was really my safe space in my home where we didn't necessarily have parents. Her and I, what we did to escape trauma was just play and make art. So 
that really resonated with me. I don't have much to say about legacy because I would like to stay in the moment, but that was so beautiful. You're not my age yet, so. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe. We will return back yeah, here. Come back. <laughs> we'll come back in another decade and check in. A little more. Okay. So now let's talk about the works that you have created for this beautiful catalog project, The Goddess. I'm going to ask all of you what your definition of a goddess is and what your process was like making the imagery and how your definition of goddess affected the way that you were making the images. Ming, when I look in your imagery, I feel there's so much movement in it. It looks as almost like the goddesses are bursting out from the molten metal from which they were cast in your inspiration photo, which is a single ostrich feather that's laying still. But it's almost as if you had captured it right as it landed. First of all, I was doing a series. This may not seem that it's answering the question, but I have to tell this story. I have this series called August Moon, and it was done in honor of August Wilson. And I saw a book called Sweet Fly Paper with Ralph Ellison and Roy D. Carava. It was between a black photographer and a black writer. So I went and photographed August Wilson. But one of the images I took was a Cadillac. <laughs> and so I had researched, this is before I got this event, like maybe five years ago, to say, mm, what year? was this Cadillac. So then I didn't realize that emblems changed. I had no clue. And so I found that they had 1957 or 1960-something, etc. And so I found that. So that's when I was first aware. And I found the one. It was like, oh, I found this, you know. And I knew what year it was because uh, it was an old Cadillac. And Cadillacs, just historically, in my family, although my father, he was how would you say, he was not bourgeois, he did not aspire to have a Cadillac. But my aunts lived in outside Maryland, and they had a Cadillac, they had two of them. And one time I had a scholarship at the University of Maryland, they lived in Bethesda, and in this Cadillac, they came to take me out to lunch, I had a scholarship at the University of Maryland in dance, and there were my two aunties, they were riding that Cadillac, and I was like, wow. They looked so powerful. They looked so beautiful. You know, I had never seen them like that, and both of the sisters together. They looked like goddesses to me. Mm. So I just had to tell you those two stories, because in the black community, if you had a Cadillac, you were somebody, and that's what everyone aspired to. So when I had this assignment, after seeing the sculpture, and thinking of a goddess, it's called the Dance of Mayat, which is the ancient Egypt goddess, and like the feather is what they would always wear to represent a goddess, which is justice, light, and balance. I mean, I thought about getting a model, but I was like, physically, which model, or, you know, and not deal with just stereotypes, uh, so I decided not to do that. But with the sculpture, I wanted her to fly, like light, for energy, uh, swiftness. But light is also truth, and light is also like the light of the world, knowledge. And so I wanted that 
And for some reason, I thought, like, Isadora Duncan, I don't know if you've ever known her, but she was this great dancer, and she had the scarves, and, and she was free. She was free, but she represented a goddess to me of, like, dance, but what she aspired to. I hadn't thought about her in a long time because I'm a Dunham dancer. So I think that was what I aspired to, to make her ethereal, but justice, you know, metal, I think we're of an age where everything is very metallic, but yet there needs to be a balance, and so that's why. We need to think about all these things and not get so, just technology and yeah. balance. Danielle, do you have any connections to Cadillac? My great-grandmother, Edna, who's no longer living, she had a brown Cadillac, <laughs> like a big one. <laughs> big, right? Really big. My cousin Mark has it now, and I wanted to actually use it in the photograph, but it's not camera ready. It's like in a garage and covered with cobwebs. But yeah. My great-grandmother, I was fortunate enough to know her. She passed away when I was eight. But for some reason, I like have this vision of her in like a purple suit driving the brown Cadillac to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as far as the photographs that I made, for the two with the emblem, I was really focused on working with the material of the object. My work is pretty formally driven. But I think normally I'm thinking about like light and composition. Can I ask you a question? Though? Yeah. When you say formally driven, how do you define that? I have to lead with what it looks like being more important than what it's about, which like kind of sounds crazy. But for me, I overthink things a lot. And I can very easily try to like shoehorn a bunch of ideas or like shoehorn a bunch of things into an image. And then I forget that I'm like taking a picture and that it needs to look good <laughs> and that I need to be like responding to light. Like Ming was talking about earlier that I need to be open to why am I actually making a photograph of something as opposed to like writing a paper about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to focus on like the metal material that Ming also so lovely spoke about, like how metallic everything was. But for me, it was like leaning into that. So I didn't have to like fight it technically from like a photography reflection standpoint. So I built like a mirrored box to photograph both of the statues in because I wanted A, to highlight their material, but B, I was also really interested in having the object reflect on itself, making a void space where it's just like this object existing in different variations, like into infinity. And then for the other picture, the interpretation image, I guess my response to the question of what is a goddess, for whatever reason, I didn't go to mythology which is odd because I was like very into mythology and I am very into mythology, but I just was like, well, a goddess is a person who's in control of their own image, period. I don't know why it came to me like that. So I went with that and I wanted to photograph a person, but also was like coming up against some of the things that Ming was talking about with like 
well, if you find a model, what are you looking for? And like, what are you saying? And saying this person is a goddess versus that person is a goddess. Like I couldn't, it was hard for me to work around that. So I just decided to photograph myself <laughs> because I figured like, I don't know, I can't feel bad about like putting myself, not that I'm calling myself a goddess, but just like, well, you are. <laughs> well, when I told a friend that I was doing it, he was like, well, you should just take a big picture of your face. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. But actually, <laughs> maybe there is something to, you know, just explore using. with that. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I think part of being a goddess is being able to recognize that you are one mm-hmm. also. Right. And be so, comfortable in it. Yeah. And be comfortable in it. In so, the power. Yeah, exactly. Sit in that power. Exactly. Yeah. So I made a picture of myself, like, in an old Cadillac with my feet on the dashboard with a, like, ocean view outside of it. And I guess that's, like, my image version of a woman in control of her own image. It's really interesting because, for me, your images of the goddess emblem, there's so much energy to it. The light in it creates this frenetic energy, which is incredible. It's almost like vibrating off the page but then your inspiration in contrast there's such a stillness did you mean to have that sort of juxtaposition no it just, so, just came <laughs> but to i'm you. open to it yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean i i was actually concerned i was like these pictures are very studio and that picture is very world yeah i was a little bit worried about them coming together but When I saw the three of them together, they just worked for me. And then it kind of became like, oh, there I am after I made those pictures. Like after I was like working my butt off in the studio. Now I'm just sort of having a private moment in this Cadillac that's not actually my Cadillac at the beach with my feet on the dashboard. I mean, it also speaks to the different definitions and ideas of what a goddess is as a goddess of power and strength is Mm. it a goddess of recovery it all speaks to a spectrum of feeling yeah yeah petra for you i found your images it did remind me of mythology and these different ideas of different deities and goddesses that exist and your inspiration image really is so like dreamlike and ethereal that it's this idea that these goddesses are unseen but they're present my connection with Cadillac was that my dad had a Cadillac and it was the one I guess like fancy thing that we had or the one thing that we could afford and we had it for a very long time kind of while everything crumbled the Cadillac sort of stayed it sounded really cheesy but (laughs) it was a vehicle for me to get in and to sort of like I guess disassociate or go into my own world Mm. wherever we were going I was just like okay I'm going somewhere else and I can go into my body and hear and imagine things so I'm a very strange thing that my parents did when I was a child they were obsessed with soundtracks of movies and they would play them over and over and over so what can you tell us what some of the movies were we had some television shows like one Jackie Brown played for like three years at <laughs> one, so I really know all the monologues and the Sopranos theme song. I listen to it every day going to school. So, <laughs> so I was very used to being in this moving 
space where I was not present, but I was creating these amazing stories to the music. So when I decided to do this, it's funny because when I had thought of that question, like, what is a goddess? I always love to go back and be like, there isn't one. (laughs) Or not there isn't one, but it's sort of like everywhere. And it took me a second to figure out how to approach the photos because I didn't like both of you I didn't want to be like this is what a literal goddess is so I thought of it as okay well I'm gonna make a little film in my head (laughs) about this and I thought I would take it back to where I was as a child and take it back into these spaces we actually shot at this very strange old abandoned office space in downtown LA And the reason we shot there was I spent a lot of time as a child on the internet and kind of like falling into spaces of nowhere. And there's this thing on the internet called the back rooms. They don't necessarily... (laughs) um, (laughs) Someone remember Yeah. Um, It's not something that exists, but it's this idea of this, I guess, like nothingness in the shape of these sort of super sterile spaces like that office building I guess I always pictured going into those places as a child so I thought I would take these goddesses these three I picked these three great models which I didn't want to focus too much on them individually I saw them as like playing together so they could create I keep saying nothing but I think it's so important to be able to capture space or nothingness I really because I didn't I really didn't want to make a point of circling in on any specific type of woman or body or whatever so I focused on the spaces but I think I what I ended up creating was maybe some type of time capsule or womb because we shot in the sterile space and then we made a miniature of the space so we made a miniature office space and I had these goddesses investigate it and crawl in between it and hmm, it's funny I never now that I'm speaking about it I'm like okay I guess I really created some strange womb or just space I think what's always satisfying when you are creating something or like a scene and you realize that the like space or it all together sort of speaks for more than each object themselves so I think that's how I ended up feeling about this well it's also interesting (laughs) that you talk about it you created a womb Mm. and then when you're talking about the way that you would crawl into the catalog and there's like a warm safe space almost like another womb yeah Uh, yeah so that's that's essentially what I did incredible yeah well we are out of time Thank you so much for sharing your process and all your words of wisdom. The auction is, again, on Artnet Auctions from February 15th to March 1st. So if you can, try and support a really amazing organization. That's it for this week's episode. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. The Art Angle is produced by me, Sonia Manalili, Caroline Goldstein, and Tim Schneider. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.